Okay, James. We are back. We have a lot so, to talk about. Wait, you're doing it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, I think we should just do a whole hour and a half on, on the Arizona game and just talk about the stunning theater that it was. What would you grade that game out of 10? In terms of how they Watchability, played? Watchability, <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> the best part is it's like starts at like five after 10 o'clock and like, and the other thing too, I, I, I'm okay with late games because I, I stay up and I watch a lot of late games. I know I was making fun of the start time on Twitter and whatever. The tough thing is doing it one day after the other. <laughs> you know, I was tired from the night before and then you do it again and, you know, my kids have been getting up at... 6 30 in the morning and they're not at school right now because of uh, the schools are shut down like it's that was a grind getting through that game last night and then it's just like kind of a real dog of a game i mean look at the lineup that arizona had like holy cow travis boyd was their top line center yes i'm looking at their ice time five on five for for the arizona yeah so like after shane goss despair there's a few guys i don't know anything about and then there's like a bunch of guys like you know but are kind of in weird stages of their career uh, tell me all everything you know about this decor gossip bear everyone knows he was playing with mayo uh i don't know mayo mo, mo i think his name's dyson mayo moser yeah. and, and labushkin i know labushkin because he's been uh he's been a russian guy they've had kind of up and comer and then there was cole Kolya Chonok, who was making his NHL debut. Yeah, and Moser. Was, and yeah, I, I mentioned him. And and Soderstrom, who's and and then, you know Veg, Veg Melko in, in goal played really well. Um Wait, can, the, the, can I interrupt you for one sec? I'm just looking yeah. at the ice time. Do you know who played the fewest five on five five on five minutes for the coyotes? Who was who? I, I don't know. You're make you make it sound like it was someone interesting, so it I'm was. Like, I'm going to guess Galchenyuk. It was eight minutes, 19 seconds, five on five. What a weird career he's had, man. He goes from like playing on the second line of one of the best teams in the league to now barely getting minutes for the worst team in the league. It's crazy. Well, the Leafs wanted to keep him. So I don't, I don't know the full story of what happened there, but something weird happened. So anyway, we're, this is a big show, James. They're all big shows, but this is an especially big show. And you can tell everyone why we haven't had a guest in a while it's been a bit of a, a guest drought you remember like during the middle of the pandemic in the first year we was like guest every single week because there was like no games and nothing going on and i was saying i kind of i kind of missed having the guests so we're uh we're, we're going back to an old faithful here i think that uh i think mark masters is our most our most featured guest we've ever had. He's probably been on 10 times or something, but I think uh, Chris Johnston has to be number two, right? He, yes, for sure. Those are our two, as we've referred to them before on the podcast, are Alec Baldwin, Steve Martin. Uh, Chris now with the Toronto Star, TSN, and he's got the Chris Johnston podcast, so we'll get to him very soon. Um, Whenever he shows like, up. <laughs> yeah, well, no, he's... He's fashionably he's late today. He's coming. Um, so, obviously, the Leafs are on a road trip right now. They played in Colorado over the weekend, Vegas on Tuesday, and then the Arizona game on Wednesday night. There, there were some pretty interesting comments from Sheldon Keefe after the game against Arizona. He was about as mad as you'll see him and about as ticked off as you'll see him. Um, he criticized Peter Mrazek. He criticized their conditioning. 
I, I just think I can understand you're playing the worst team in the league. You outshoot them. You dominate the game and you lose. You're probably, if you're the head coach, you're like, man, that's that's two points like that just go away for nothing. Well, and, and it's just, yeah. I mean, they're, they're playing the worst team in the NHL and, and the, the worst team in the NHL that's missing like eight guys. Like they had a whole, you know, they had injuries. They had a bunch of COVID. They had like, I know I like the Leafs heavily outplayed them. I expected goals were 75% for the Leafs in, in all situations in that game. But I don't, I don't know. The, the, Sheldon Keefe said he thinks his team looks tired. And I think that that's right. Like they just, they, they played, they died, they dominated them, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you should be able to beat that team. No, but it's like, what else do you do? Like they had a million chances and he was saving them. Well, Keith was saying he didn't like the way they played in the power play. He didn't like well, the chances. Well, the power play looked bad. Yeah. Well, there's one thing you could do. Yeah, that's one thing you can do. Well, and you look at some of the minutes. Like, Austin Matthews played 24 minutes in Vegas. He played 24 and a half in Arizona. He was excellent. I, I think their two best forwards were t- Matthews and, and William Nealander, who had eight, t- eight shots. Kasha was real good, too. Kasha's I- good. And Kasha's playing a lot now. Like, obviously, playing on the top line. He's on the power plays, on the penalty kill. He played 20 minutes. But, like, James, like, you look at the Tavares line has not been good throughout this trip and when you you're basically getting nothing offensively from your third and fourth line suddenly you're you're just like a one-line team like that's 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 kind of the dynamic right now when they're playing without marner they're playing without engvall um they're just they're just thinner missing just marner and engvall shouldn't mean that your third and fourth lines are useless like that's a little bit concerning yeah i was thinking about that and i was thinking like um, when I was thinking about like what the construction is of their fourth line when it's healthy and it's, it's older, like they really don't have a fourth, like fourth line options who can readily move up. Like Wayne Simmons is, is stretched on a third line. So is Jason Spezza. Nick Ritchie obviously now is, is kind of stretched playing on a third line. I don't know if there, there's anything wrong with that. I, I just think those are, those are fourth line players and their third line is, is used in a very specific way. And I don't know. I wonder, Jonas, like some of the players who haven't looked minty fresh over the last, since the Christmas break, I would say, are probably like Muzzin, Spezza. Yeah. It's like some of the older guys. Like, I wonder, you know, you get COVID, you don't play for two or three weeks. Not just you don't play, you don't skate. Right. Yeah. I I bet you that affects some of the older guys more than... uh, more than if you're a young guy. So I think that that's, I was just watching Spezza on this trip and it's like, he doesn't look, you know, no. like, well, and the like, other thing, James, like with him, he kind of needs like that fourth line is really at its best when it's Spezza, Simmons and Engvall. Like they kind of need that, the juice and the speed that Engvall brings. It just hasn't been the same when Richie has played with those guys. Like the numbers bear that out pretty definitively. I think too, though, that, the reason Spezza is successful at 38 and the reason John Tavares is successful at his age and is they're just like workout fanatics and like they're, they're like conditioning is just like, I know for, I know Spezza back when we used to be like in the dressing room and stuff like that, like he, he'll like work out for like an hour after the games and like, he's just, so I think yeah. if you get out, you get out of that rhythm where you're just, you know, it's guys like Chara and, and Thornton, the guys that can play into their late thirties, they, they have to be workout fiends, and that's what Spezza is. And if you break that rhythm, I think it sets you back a little bit. Yeah, and you look Tavares since they've come back, he well, 
I mean, he had a, an assist against Ottawa, a goal against Edmonton. In the last three games, he's pointless, and he didn't have a shot in Vegas. Yeah, there might be something to that, for sure. Um, so, once we get Chris on, there's a lot we need to discuss, James. I want to talk about Well, John. you got me. You can ask me things. I can, but I, I just want to, like, preview the show. I think this is okay. something I'm supposed to do. We don't normally do that. Well, I try to, like, sneak it in that you don't even know it's happening. Oh. But anyway, so I want to talk. I'm the the doddering old man of the podcast now. You kind of are. Um, I want to talk about John Klingberg. You wrote a story uh, about the possibility of the Leafs acquiring him, his fit. I want to talk a little bit about Evander Kane with CJ. I want to talk about Ilya Mikheyev and his contract situation. Mm -hmm. I think we should talk about Matthews. I think we should talk about Neolander. Um there's a lot of stuff I want to get into. I don't know if you, wh- where do you want to start? I'll give you the option. I got a, I got a whole list of things that we can go through. Some of which I just mentioned, where would you like to begin? And then we can work CJ in. Oh, dealer's choice, Jonas. What do you got? Well, since you wrote about it re- recently, yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday. So you wrote about this on Wednesday, John Klingberg. After putting together that story with Saad in Dallas, where do you come away with in terms of the question of whether he's the guy for the Leafs to acquire on defense? I came away thinking he should not be the guy that they acquire. I came I came away thinking he's not really the right fit. Um, he's going to be expensive to acquire. You're not going to be able to re-sign him. He's very, very definitively on the downslope in his career. He's really slowed down if you look at any any kind of uh, analytical chart or or data that you want, he's not the same player that he was two or three years ago, and um, and you're going to have to give up so much to get him just as a rental. It it just it doesn't feel like the right thing to do. What do you think? I'm with you. Um, I I have two things I want to discuss here. One is the is the fit thing. He he doesn't feel like the the fit for what they need. Uh, yeah. Like I was watching their game the other day. Like he doesn't kill penalties. It's like um, if they needed like a Morgan Riley type, then like, well, and they've been down this road before James, like it, it, it started to get me thinking about the Tyson Berry acquisition and they're different players, obviously, but it was like the fit wasn't right. Now my, my playing devil's advocate that I want to ask you, I went back and looked at that season when they went to the cup final and a lot of the underlying numbers aren't great then either. And he was awesome during their run to the final. And it's like, are you overthinking it maybe a little? Like if you add him to Jake Muzzin, like you've kind of maybe got a nice balance. I don't know how you can use that, that group, but like suddenly like you look at the top four, you've got another threat beyond Riley. I don't know. Like I could, I can make an argument that it might make sense. It makes them better, but it's just like the acquisition cost is going to be so high. And I feel like there's going to be other teams that are offering more. I think if you could get it done for just a pick or, or just a prospect or something, then maybe you think about it. But I, I feel like Dallas is going to ask for the moon when they're trading this guy. And just looking at what he's accomplished the last two and a half years or so, I just don't know that Klingberg's the same player that, that we think he is. Like, you know, he's a guy that he was getting Norris Trophy votes a, a few years back, and he's just not that player anymore. And it's part of why, like, Dallas doesn't the, – the contract talks have stalled and he's probably not going to stay there. Do you think the, the demands in terms of what they can ask for will go down if this continues? Like, 
Or do you think they're, they just hold out for that one team that's going to pay a ridiculous price and get that? I haven't looked closely enough at every team that's going to make the playoffs around the league. What, how many of them need a right shot defenseman to know? You know, it's going to be a team that thinks they can re-sign him, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, trading more assets for him becomes more palatable because you're not just getting a rental player. Whereas if Klingberg wants, like he wants over $7 million on his deal and probably closer to eight. That's that's pretty impossible for the Leafs to fit in. I don't think it makes any sense for them to try and fit that contract in. No, I, I, that's the thing. Like, I think if you're trading for him specifically, like he, you're not re-signing him. You're not paying that price. You're getting him to to help you win. And maybe you look around and you look at the options uh, on right D, and you say there isn't anyone we really think is a lot better, but. Like you're saying, like I don't, I don't know that the cost will will make it worthwhile in terms of what you're going to have to give up. Like it's it's not going to just be a pick, I would think. Yeah. So I went into the story kind of thinking that there would be a way to like convince people that uh, that it made sense, and I came out of the story being like, I don't think this makes any sense. All right, James. That is just about settled. Although I do want to get CJ's take, just because why not? CJ's a smart guy. Chris, can you hear us? I can. I'm sorry. I'm really late, guys. I was on a call. My apologies. Never apologize to us. From the Toronto Star, TSN, Chris Johnson podcast. Always, always great on your podcast, CJ. I listen, uh, as you know, to every single one. Um, Don't listen to the one we did today. I'll give you a sneak preview. I was all over the place, so. (laughs) That's okay. Sometimes that happens on this podcast as well, as you know. What? What? Um, CJ, we were just discussing John Klingberg and the possibility of the Leafs acquiring him, and we both kind of came to the conclusion that the fit is in there. Are you kind of in the same ballpark? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I saw you guys have a story at the Athletic. I didn't read it, so I, you know, I don't know what was concluded in there either. But you know, my view is the Leafs are probably going to trade for a defenseman, assuming there's no injuries between now and the trade deadline. That could change the approach there. And but you know, I think it's got to be be about building a pairing that they can use in tough minutes. And, you know, John Klingberg has been, you know, sort of like a Morgan Riley. I know he shoots right-handed instead of left-handed, but he's been someone who's logged a lot of power play time, you know, played offensive sheltered minutes, put up a lot of points. I think the trouble for him in Dallas, of course, is that Miro Haskin has come along and has taken some of that role from him. They've already extended him on a long-term contract. And so it's not a case where Klingberg isn't valued by the stars, but I, I think he's, a little bit less necessary. He's kind of a niche defenseman, you know, reminds me of say like Tyson Berry. I think if if you sign him, you have to use him in a very specific way. You have to have specific needs or if you traded for him. And and so, you know, we know how the, the Berry situation worked out in Toronto was not quite the right fit. Uh, it didn't work out that well. And I think, you know, for what it would cost Klingberg to get Klingberg, you know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense other than the fact that, Cap wise, he's actually had a reasonable number and is someone the Leafs can make work that way. Chris, you hit on like, you didn't even hear what we said and you hit on a lot of the same things that we said. So I I wonder, um, since you were just on a call getting a bunch of scoops for this podcast, uh, is there another fit for the Leafs to pursue on defense? Like I haven't, I haven't really been seeing a lot of names that make sense on the rental market. So I just wonder what they're going to, what they're going to do if they do need to make a, a trade there for someone. I'm with you. I, I don't see the obvious person that we know for sure is going to be available or moved prior to March 21st. You know, it's not to say that that person won't 
exists won't materialize. You know, I wonder if there's, if we should start peeling into players that are under contract beyond the season and maybe it's not a pure rental type deal. Um, that might make sense, but this is such a weird year too, right? Like I think that the trade market in general is going to be diminished this season with everything that's gone on with the number of teams pressed against the cap. You know, we're here, we are recording almost in mid January and the season isn't half over. Like it's just, everything feels disjointed and upside down. And, and so, you know, I, I'm not sure we're going to see as many players move. I don't think that it's as easy of a fit. And, and honestly, like the Leafs are definitely all in. We all understand that, but all in, in this case, I think is, is much less than, than even a year ago. You know, they've, they've, you know, just spent a lot of their, their draft capital in those moves. It's not to say they won't trade more picks or a pick this deadline, but, you know, I think that this is a more complete version of the team. And I just don't think there's going to be a, a ton of available options to them that, that makes sense to, to have this be as, as you know, busy of a trade deadline as it was last year for Kyle Dubas. I started making a list and, and it, it's like you guys are saying, it's not easy to find like perfect candidates. What, what would kind of concern me along with like trying to find the right guy is like, what do you have right now? If you're the Leafs front office in Jake Muzzin, that's, that's a, it's a little worrying to me, like trying to figure out how much of what's gone on is him maybe declining a little bit. How much is Justin Hall taking a step back? Um, James, I'll, like, I'll start with you on that question. Like, do you need some someone who's not just like, I don't know, like someone better who's going to be able to lift up Jake Muzzin a bit as opposed to a guy who maybe you just kind of stick in there and, and hope he can kind of fit the role, if that makes any sense? Yeah, I mean, you said it's a little bit worrying. I mean, I think it's a lot worrying that you don't know what you have, not just in Justin Hall, but in Jake Muzzin as well. And that pair was so important to, to the Leafs last year and their success and everything. So it's, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but if that player doesn't exist, if that kind of addition isn't out there, you don't really have, I don't know that the Leafs have a lot of options here other than to just cross their fingers and hope that Jake Muzzin figures it out and gets back to being the player he was last year. Because if you look at what he did last season, he was, he was great. He was, he was, he was one of their best players. And they really missed him when he went down in the playoffs. And uh, he hasn't gotten back there this year. CJ, you can take it and run with it if you want. Well, I'm, I'm sharing the view with James. Like, I'm not sure that, like, what can you do? You're not trading him in the season. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, you just got to give him time. And, and probably if he isn't, if he doesn't get back to some reasonable level of what he's been, you know, I'm not sure that you can overcome that necessarily by any other trade either, right? I mean, he's a pretty key part of this team. You know, he eats up valuable cap space on a team where, where cap space is obviously at a premium. And so I think it's just about being patient, about trying to furnish him with the right people. Maybe it is another partner. Maybe that's the focus. But, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, it's sort of like if Austin Matthews doesn't score goals, like what can you do? Like you, you have the guy who's best at that that you can get. And, you know, if, if he doesn't score in the playoffs, at least probably aren't going to win. Uh, th there's like lots of reasons why that may or may not happen. But, you know, I think that that's kind of the bet that they're saddled with. And, and Muzzin's not on the same level as that. But, you know, I do think that he's pretty clearly a big part of the team. And, and they have to, to hope, I don't know if it's physical, mental decline, you know, what's going on. I mean, this is a hard time. But 
you know, I think that, that he has to be good for them to, to have their best chance to, to make a long playoff run. I, I've been arguing on the podcast, Chris, that I think that they should just mix up the pairings that they have and see what they've got. And whether that's, you know, try Sandine or, or try Lilgren or like play someone else with Muzzin and just change the mix because it's clearly not going to work with what they're doing right now. I, I, like, do you, th- do you think there's anything to that? I mean, it just feels like they're limited in their options on the trade market and that might, that deal might not happen for two months. Why not look at what you've got internally as opposed to just running out the same thing over and over again? Yeah. I mean, they seem really cautious with the younger guys, like to give them, they don't want to put them in a vulnerable spot or where they're being relied on too much. Um, you know, it might be sort of this, the necessity, right. It might just be, you stumble upon something. I mean, to my eyes, Sandine's taken a big step forward this year. Uh, and, and I get, you know, Sheldon Keefe had a quote recently in the last few days about, you know, respecting that, liking that he's grabbed his opportunity, but not wanting to put too much on his plate, but mm-hmm. at a certain point you might be forced to, I mean, that's, that's tends to be what happens if there's an injury, you know, if one of the top four guys were to go down for any meaningful amount of time, you know, you'd be pushing someone up the lineup. I remember a few years ago, you know, Travis Dermott went up the lineup uh, when I believe when Muzzin got injured in Tampa. And so, you know, I, I think that. You, you've had worse ideas. I know you've been banging the drum hard for Viega, <laughs> James. So uh, <laughs> I just Viega has like a lot of room for potential with the puns. So like, if he ever does get a bigger role, or if he scores a goal, I got a whole bunch I can unleash. See, I think a more interesting question is whether you break up Riley Brody and play Muzzin with Brody and use that as your kind of shutdown ish pair. The the problem is. Obviously, then who do you play with Riley? The other thing is you've got this great pair with Riley and Brody. Are you really going to break that up and try to find something else and screw up what you have up top to fix another problem? Like to me, that makes more sense. But then it creates the same question: is like who do you play with Riley? You yeah, don't really it's have re- like a it's related candidate. though, Jonas. Like if you if you want Sandine to play more and you want to see like maybe you play him with Riley. Like maybe that's the answer because that that pair's not getting the tough minutes. But you you guys don't think like th- there's you would be taking Sandine in the middle of his first full NHL season and saying, go play the opposite side now in harder minutes. I just want to see what it looks like. And if it looks better than Justin Hall struggling through yeah. half a, se- a season. The tricky thing you're hitting on here though, is like, it's really easy to switch up a forward line and we see it happen routinely. You know, generally defense pairings stay pretty constant unless there is injuries or something that, that forces a change. And, you know, Brody Riley clearly is working this year. I mean, I, I it, it's difficult to to reimagine the whole thing when your your top guys are going the way they are. Um, and, and there really isn't a ton of options. Like if we're being honest, like we're, we're talking about pushing either Lilligren or Sandine up the lineup. I'm not saying they can handle it, but it's not a sure thing. Um, and you know, I think you are worried about damaging them or or, or you know shaking their confidence where you know it does more harm than good long you know bigger picture you know it's sort of an not an enviable spot and and i think that's probably why they've been so patient honestly i think that's why they're trying to give buzz and hall a chance to figure this out because there really isn't an obvious other option unless they go make a trade and and you know acquire someone that makes sense to, to be slotted right in there well and that speaks to kind of like I mean, they're one of the best teams in the NHL. We're, we're nitpicking here, but this could be an issue for them and is an issue for them that they're going to have to address. But in addition to, to Justin Hall taking a step back, there hasn't been an, 
any indication or even really any willingness um, to try Travis Dermott in a higher role. Um, he's not moved up. Obviously, he makes the air in, in Arizona. It leads to a goal. Like at least if, if, if Hall took a step back and, and Dermott looked like he was ready to take more, you'd be in a better spot and maybe you don't have to trade for a defenseman, but that just hasn't happened. It feels a little like Dermott's time, like he's still so young, but it's kind of coming on with the Leafs a little bit. He's not as young as you think, though. Like he's 25 now. Right. But that's what I mean is that, you know, three or four years ago, he's getting thrown into a playoff series with very little experience. And you assume he's going to, you know, take these steps. And, and yeah, you know, it just, it hasn't happened, right? He hasn't grabbed a job. You know, he has played in their top four, as I mentioned earlier, when some circumstances have put it there. But, you know, really since he's, he started coming on the scene that, you know, they brought in Muzz and they brought in Brody. You know, they've, they've almost insulated themselves so that he didn't have to play there. Um, you know, I, I just wonder how much longer he's in the organization. You know, I think cap hit and all that stuff will, will help decide it because they obviously have to be really careful around the margins of the roster with how they're, they're building out the team. But yeah, I mean, he was exposed to Seattle, of course, in the expansion draft. And it just feels like they're not that high on him at this point. I mean, they, they've, 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 foregone many opportunities i guess to give him more of a role or to push him there and it just it just hasn't happened yeah i guess it's a reminder that that not not all progress is like that straight line up and sometimes like guys plateau and sometimes like that's what they are like he, he might just be like a third pairing defenseman which is is fine it's just not what they need um let's take a break we still have the pod bag and reader questions to get to there's tons of them for you cj uh, I want to talk about Mikheyev. I want to talk about Neander. Uh, we can talk of Andrew Kane if you guys want. And one thing I was wondering last night that I was curious to ask your your opinion both on is Phil Kessel a Hall of Famer? Let's take a break and we'll discuss all that. All right, James, I'll let you decide of the things that I mentioned before the break. Neander, Mikheyev, Evander Kane, Phil Kessel. Where should we go next with CJ? Let's let's <clears throat> let's jump on the Evander Kane thing because I think that's super interesting, and I know Chris has got his finger on the pulse of that a little bit more than I think we have. Uh, Chris, do you think the Leafs have looked at Evander Kane at all? Not really. You know, I think that, that there was a phone call made to see what's up, see what it would cost. You know, basically consider their options. But right from the first day that that he cleared unconditional waivers and became essentially an unrestricted free agent. I, I didn't have the sense Toronto was all that that keen on him. I, I don't have a full window into why. I think we can guess perhaps some of it is is you know things that have happened. You know, I also think they have less of a role to offer him. You know, like Edmonton Oilers are saying, like you're going to come and play left wing with Connor McDavid, and you know I don't think the Leafs are you know offering up Michael Bunting spot for example to him at this point in time, and so. I'm not sure that they can get in the game in any that they ever had a chance to get in the game in any way because yeah. they weren't going to outbid these teams of what they could pay them because of the cap situation. They couldn't give them a bigger role. And so I, I just don't think the fit was ever truly there as much as every team can use someone who does what Evander's done on the ice. Um, I, I just don't think that they were ever, you know, one of the, the, the big serious teams, you know, setting up individual calls with them and, and making a strong pitch. So I heard that that Tampa was really interested initially, and that Kane was really excited about the idea of Tampa. For I mean, for obvious reasons, a good team, and they do have some holes there with with the players they lost in the offseason. 
But then I what I heard also was that Tampa was interested. So then Florida was like, "Oh man, we don't want him to go to Tampa." So I guess we're interested. So they, you know, they started getting involved as well. I think that 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 has cooled off a little bit. But you know, I wonder. You know, there's kind of this arms race in the Atlantic Division. I wonder if you know that could be part of the consideration for those teams when we get to the trade deadline. Is that they're all going to be battling each other to get through the the gauntlet that is that division. Um, the obvious, the obvious answer seems to be Kane going to Edmonton, right? I, I, like, I, I don't know if there's, they just seem desperate enough that they're going to be willing to put up with, um, willing to put up with the, uh, some of what's going on around him. That's not what he brings on the ice. Well, I don't think anyone needs a more among the good teams that are in the bidding here. I mean, obviously teams that are having lost seasons aren't just part of this at all from his side or their side. And so among the, the teams that we might classify as good or, or have expectations. I, I just don't see anyone that, that needs us more than Edmonton. I mean, they, you know, one of the Oilers concerns is that they play McDavid and, and dry saddle too much. Um, they're, they're concerned. They don't have a good enough third line. I mean, even just by signing Kane, you're, you're essentially driving Jesse Pugliarvi down to their third line. You're just, you're, you're bringing better balance to your lineup. You're giving McDavid, you know, a line mate that I, I think is pretty, intriguing there you're, you're putting Zach Hyman back on the right side he's been playing the left wing for them so you're putting him back to his more natural wing you know I think that there's there's just a lot of reasons that point to it I think Edmonton will you know pay him close to two million prorated uh, which you know some of the, the contending teams like Tampa and Florida might not be as willing to do you know mostly for cap purposes not not so much about the actual dollars but I, I just think Edmonton can put together this strongest case and then you know the problem now is this this league investigations popped up and and so you know that that caused the oilers on wednesday to sort of step back a little bit um you know not remove themselves entirely from the conversation but i think they need to know if if they're potentially signing someone who's can play for them in a week or two or is, is he gonna have to serve another long suspension from the nhl and so you know it's 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 an unusual set of circumstances but you can understand where Edmonton looking at this, like, like two wins since the start of December, I believe they have uh, obviously some games canceled in there because of COVID and all that, but you know, they're really struggling. There's no, there's no cost to acquire the player. And if it, if it's a total disaster after 10 games, I mean, the, the cost to, you know, send them to the minors or, or what, whatever that would be is not that high either. So, you know, I, I think he makes so much sense for Edmonton. And for those are all the reasons, you know, Toronto didn't even ever get to this point. I think it's just, it, it didn't make as much sense here other than the fact, you know, you want to have as many good players as you can, but, but you have to make them all feel valued. You have to have a fit for them. And, you know, just, it wasn't, it wasn't on the table for the Leafs. Yeah. I just don't see a fit. Like you've got bunting fit with Matthews and obviously there's Marner on the right side. Neilander fits with Tavares and whether it's Kerfoot, whether it's Mikheyev, whether it's Kasha, you've got another option there. Like I just, I, I don't really see a fit. Um, I don't need, like, it wouldn't take me very long if I was in that front office to conclude that it's not worth it for them, given all the other stuff, even if there was a fit, like you might wonder, um, whether it's worth investing in Evander Kane. But like you said, CJ for Edmonton, I mean, they need a lot of things. They don't just need like one winger. They need plenty more. Right. But this fell out of the sky, right? Like as of this time last yeah. week, Evander Kane was under contract to San Jose. No one wanted his contract. He's making 7 million. Like this, the fact he's a free agent all of a sudden is a pretty alluring thing if you if you're just trying to plug a hole. For sure, for sure. Um, should we move to Neilander or 
Mikheyev. Which do you guys want? Actually, I'll just choose. Let's talk about Mikheyev just because I wrote about him last week. He's He's been kind of on my mind. Um, James, I'll start with you and then CJ, you can give your own opinion. Do you think he can be like, do you think he is a top six forward? Do you think he just is a third line winger? Do you think like, what do you think his ceiling is? Because it seems like there's a bit of a divergence between what he thinks he is and what I think he is and what maybe the Leafs think he is. Well, that first year, I would say he looked like a top six forward. And then since then, we haven't really seen that again. And he's had some, he's had some really brutal injuries. Like those are really, really tough injuries for, for a skilled player to have. Um, I think that right now he's top six on not a very good team. And on a team like the Leafs, he's probably not top six is what I would say. Um, but you know, good on the penalty kill and has some utility in other places in the lineup. And I mean, the reality is that he's going to be kind of like a little bit like the Connor Brown was where he's just going to be too expensive for the Leafs. Like they're just not going to be able to pay him what he can get on the open market. He's going to be UFA and, you know, they're going to get as much out of him here and he's going to want to show as well as he can here over the the next, the rest of the half season in the playoffs in order to drive up his, his asking price in the summer. But, you know, I think that's, that's pretty much where they're at with Mikheyev. He can definitely play top six, right? I mean, whether he's ideally suited there is probably a different question. But, yeah. That's you right. know, like if, if Michael Bunting can do it with, you know, and it's no disrespect to Michael Bunting, but, you know, that's a player without a lot of NHL pedigree and, and it's working with the Leafs top line. I mean, Leafs have so many, he's not driving at the first or second line up clearly, but the Leafs have enough other players. I think he can skate with them. I mean, and it's nice to see him put the puck in the net a couple of times early in the season. Cause that was really the biggest doubt. I mean, he had chances. Like anyone watching Toronto play the last few years, I know he didn't score many goals last year, but it wasn't for lack of having looks. You know, I think the hard part for Mikheyev is he hasn't embraced the idea of what he is. I think, I think there's some pride there. Like, and I actually don't hold that against him. I mean, he, he believes in himself. He, he wants to be that player. I think he wants to make $4 million a year or something like he sees himself in that, in that vein. And, and, James correctly points out. I mean, it's just, it's not going to, I don't think there's any world that happens in Toronto. Um, but, you know, the, the, the good news is if you're taking a short-term view, I think there's an opportunity for him to help them and them to help him and then shake hands and, you know, go your separate ways in the summer. Uh, you know, this is, this is the hard part for Kyle Dubas, honestly, is you got to keep finding guys like Mikheyev. You have to keep hitting on some of the free agent, you know, value buys that you made last summer. I mean, the, the job will never end. I think the Leafs will be priced out of a number of these free agents as they were with Zach Hyman. And we can go back and back and back. You know, a number of players have left this team that are, that are pretty good as free agents just because the, the Leafs couldn't really be in the bidding. And so, you know, that's that's kind of where they're at with Mikheyev. And, you know, I think he seems happy enough right now. I can't get a straight answer on it, though. I'll tell you that much. And that <laughs> that to me is telling. Like, it's it's still yeah. not 100% that he wants to be here. Um, I'm not saying he wants out necessarily as he did in last summer, but it's, everything isn't quite perfect there. And, and, you know, I don't think the Leafs are going to trade him by any means. I don't think that there's any way to get more value for him compared to what he makes, but it's just, it's just not quite the right fit for, for team and player uh, with the, with the Leafs and him. Well, he wants time on the power play and he doesn't want to be on that camp line. Uh, he doesn't want to be on like a line that's starting in the D zone every shift. Right. I mean, like that's, that's the bottom line, I think. 
Well, if they're completely healthy, though, when they get to a playoff series, like, yeah, no, I know. It's like no chance. I don't see it. Well, and he's good in that situation. Like he's a good defensive player. Like his defensive ability, I think outweighs his offensive ability. Although I was going to ask you, Jonas, I mean, you've been watching practice a lot more than I have recently. Mm -hmm. And it really seems like the Leafs have worked hard with Mikheyev on, on, on some of his skill elements, like his shot. Like, do you think that is it, is what we're seeing with the goals that he scored the result of that? Or is it just small sample size right now? I think it's probably a combination of the two. Like, like CJ was saying last year, he had so many chances and most of the, like a lot of them were, were shorthanded rushes where he just got breakaways and he just couldn't finish. What they've worked at with him on is is getting to the inside more, and you've seen that, and just being more deceptive with his shot. And I think we've seen that. There's obviously like some luck to this, but like I think what's interesting to me is like they're trying to do everything they can to like make him happy-ish for this year. Like it's it's pretty interesting. Like I don't know. CJ, maybe you can speak to this. Like trade requests happen way more often than we ever uh, hear about. Um, but I, I do think it's it's interesting, yeah, right? Like, but but it is interesting when a team says, "No, like we're not going to trade you. We really think you're really important to what we we're doing. We're losing Zach Hyman. We'll do everything we can to try to address what's bothering you." Like they came into camp and basically said, "Like you're going to play with Tavares." Then he gets hurt. They put him on the power play. Like they're trying to make this as good as it can possibly be, which I don't know, is, is interesting to me that that's the route that they've taken. I like the way they've handled it from day one. You know, even the way Kyle Dubas addressed it to start training camp, you know, basically reinforced all the reasons they like him, why they want to keep him based, you know, I'll, I'll put your further questions to Dan Milstein, who's, you know, the agent for, for Ilya Mikheyev. Um Oh yeah. I forgot that. You know, but I, I like that because you know, they're highlighting that he might have a view on certain things, but but this is where we see him. This is what we we believe with. And you're right. They they've they've been true to their word. I mean, he's only played a handful of games because of that injury. So it's hard to you know, we don't have the full volume of how this would have went if he played 30 games to this point, because some things might have fluctuated there. But, you know, they are giving him more of an opportunity that they've talked him up. And you know, I think the Leafs rightly just viewed, look, he doesn't cost much on the cap. There's clearly a player in there. Like there's no question here we're talking about a bona fide NHL player. The question is, you know, where, you know, how high, how, how much can he handle, you know, what's the right role for him and that to replace him would, there's, it just didn't make sense. And so, you know, I, I think that they've done as well as they can with a difficult circumstance. I'm sure they wish none of this ever became public uh, because as, as you mentioned, Jonas, I think a lot of times there's maybe not an outright trade request, but you know, there's, there's conversations between agents and, either GMs or team executives where the you know players not happy with his role and the agent might say, well, if you don't want to play him more, then he'd, he'd welcome a move, which isn't exactly uh, yeah. just some semantics gets in there at play. Like the Klingberg situation. Um, yeah. And you know, that, that one, you know, Klingberg basically confirmed that he's, he's open to a move, but that he's not demanding one. I think that, I think that's the difference. The, the hard part with McKayev, honestly, this is an unusual one because it is, pretty public and it has been pretty public it's hard to get a straight answer like like my view it seems like it's a, a bit of a love hate at times like I, I do think there's there's been moments i think there's times that he loves being part of the team and he's enjoyed his time as a leaf and i think there's other times he just feels like he's he's pigeonholed in a certain role that, that he, he shouldn't play and so you know i think yeah he's in a difficult spot as i say like 
I tried to put myself there. You know, obviously I didn't play anything near high level hockey, but you know, it would be difficult if you believe there's more in you and you just feel you're not getting that chance. I think we've all been in jobs over the years, especially when you're younger where that's the case and it's hard to be patient. And, and so I don't blame them for that emotion, but I think that, that Kyle Dubas and, and Sheldon Keefe have done a nice job of managing that situation. And, you know, I don't see any reason why it's going to be a problem between now and the end of the year. I just think everyone understands this is, this is, you know, more than likely is last year in Toronto. I just, I don't think there'll be a long, big decision in the summer. I think he'll, he'll move on and, and, you know, they hope he'll, he'll have lots of success here before he does. It just feels like a situation that they're going to have to continue to manage. Like there was that scene from the Amazon series where he meets with Kyle Dubas. It just feels like something that they'll kind of have to keep feeling or trying to f- make him feel happy. Um, like right now is a good in, in, like situation to kind of pick apart. Like the Tavares Nealander Kerfoot line has kind of slumped a little bit. And obviously there was one game where, where McKay have played there. And so now if Sheldon Keefe makes a change there, does it have to be Mikheyev? If it's not Mikheyev, is that going to make him unhappy? It's like little situations like that that, that kind of make me wonder. Um, before we take a break and get to some questions for you, CJ, um, I'll ask you and James. I think all-star rosters are going to be announced later today, I think. Um, if you had to guess, who do you think the Leafs all-stars are? Well, I think Jack Campbell and Austin Matthews are no-brainers. And then Morgan Riley would be in the mix for me, but I actually haven't inquired on this, but I, I believe in the old system, he was only three defensemen per division. Yeah, there is. And so I have trouble imagining him cracking the top three, given that every team has to be represented. And, you know, some of the other D in this division, you got Victor Hedman, you got Aaron Eckblad having a great year in Florida, mm-hmm. you know, McAvoy in Boston. You know, I don't think it would be a snub per se to leave him off, but I, I think Campbell will be there and, I'd be stunned if, if Austin Matthews doesn't join him. Is it is Matthews leading the vote for the to be the captain of the I thought last I saw I thought he was right up there. Could could be. I mean I didn't yeah, I, I think I didn't prepare for an all-star question, so I <laughs> <laughs> Jonas is so important. Jonas, Jonas has written like four stories about who's gonna be on the all-star team already. Yeah. And I, the, I think the thing for the all-star team is that I have a flight to Vegas and I'm pumped to go. But that's I'm I'm not so worried about how the, the event unfolds once I get there. Well, you got to, what about the skills competition, eh? They're going to be on the strip there. Well, I think an interesting conversation that we can break. Uh, hang on. I'm just going to find the voting. Uh, yeah, Matthews. It's going to be two. It's going to be two Leafs. It's going to be Matthews. It's only going to be two, right? Yes. Well, I, I was going to say like the, the other guy who deserves a spot is Nylander. And I mean, you look at the season that he's put together and you look at some other forwards. It's just, I guess... It's just the restrictions of the roster that's going to keep. Well, they got to throw a there. Buffalo guy on that team and Ottawa, Montreal, and, Montreal guy. and yeah. yeah. I saw NHL.com pick Chris Weidman to be the Montreal representative, and then Chris Weidman said, "I didn't know I had so many family members working at NHL.com." Which <laughs> 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 is funny. The Zoom quotes aren't usually that good, but that was a pretty good quote this week from from him. <laughs> I will ask you, CJ, just because um, I wrote something about him for today. What in particular stood out for you uh, about Neilander this year that maybe differs from last year, or maybe differs from, I mean, the playoffs, he obviously took a step. I just think he's had a really strong year. He's just gotten better and better and better. And yeah, that, that would be my only parting thought. 
Well, I know that you and I have been on the front lines of the Nylander Wars for years. Like, yes, I think, I think like literally I still get group texts from Elliot Friedman and David Amber whenever he does something in a game because those guys were so against him. And back when we were working together at Hockey Night Canada, I'd always defend him in those sort of conversations behind the scenes. And so, you know, I don't. You had Berkey there too? Oh God. Yeah. Berkey didn't like him either. I mean, literally it was me. It was me against the entire room, usually at Hockey Night back in those days. Um, which I wrote about once, so I don't mind sharing here now. Um, you know, I think that there's a different level of consistency. Definitely the playoffs was a huge thing for him. You know, I think he's actually a largely misunderstood player in a lot of ways or person, you know, because he can come off as not caring in a sense, because I actually don't think he gives a shit what you or I or James think about him, say about him, write about him, which is actually, you know, a beautiful trait. I think it's a really good trait for a player playing in a market like this one, but it, but it doesn't mean it's not to be confused with the fact he doesn't care. And I think he's intensely proud. And, you know, I, he took, I know he, he, it meant a lot to him that he had a playoff series like he did last year. And even though the team didn't have success, obviously that's, you know, where he's measuring his, you know, his, his success or not. I think that it showed him that he can, you know, it was kind of a, a bit of a re- revealing moment to himself. And so, you know, I think it's it's just a little bit different level of consistency, but I don't think he's remade anything. I mean, to me, he's been a really valuable player of the Leafs for a couple seasons now. There's no one debating his contract now. You know, obviously we talked about it way back at the time when they had that difficult negotiation, but he's just someone who fully gets what he is. I mean, this is he's fully developed at this point, um, and he's really, really, really good. And the fact that he's Toronto's maybe third best forward, fourth, you know, I'm not sure where you're putting him. You know, it's been a bit of a strange year for Marner and he's been out here the last little bit. But, you know, the point is the fact that he, you can have that player as not your best forward is is a huge benefit to the Leafs. And it's why we should all be bullish on them, even despite what's happened to him in the playoffs. You know, I know you wrote the optimism piece at the start of 2022, Jonas. I mean, I think the fact he's having this year it should make everyone optimistic because this team was always built to, to bring, throw multiple things at you. It didn't happen in last year's playoffs because the top line struggled and Tavares got injured and, and you know, it just wasn't perfect last year, but I, I still think we're going to have a spring at some point where the Leafs have multiple of their top forwards, you know, scoring big goals, making big plays and, and they're going to be difficult to handle then. And, and, you know, that makes Nylander a really key part of whatever success or not they have later on the season. Yeah, and, and like CJ, like it, there's a tendency to be like, you should pick this team apart, and it's like, we'll do that when it's warranted. But you look at you, you wrote in one of your columns for the Star, like they lost their their number one left winger, they lost Zach Bogosian, they lost their number one goaltender, and they're better. Like they they're they're a good team. Like it's hard to there's not that many points that you can pick apart we picked apart one of them with the defense earlier the peter morazic thing hasn't worked out to this point um but they're they're a good team and neander taking a step is a big thing for them um because it gives them basically two first lines um let's take a break then we'll get to some questions in the pod bag all right pod bag time a reminder to Eat at your local restaurants, support your local businesses. We're getting Indian food from a place on Bloor tonight. I'm very excited. I'm um, getting sushi tonight. Oh, very good. Very good. James is a big sushi fan, which is something I learned on this podcast. Is he? <laughs> yeah, apparently. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I became a sushi fan when I moved to Toronto. It wasn't really something that I ate. We ate a lot in Kamloops, so my... my <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm getting tonight. I'm probably having like macaroni and cheese with a three-year-old, so it's... I know you're going to say... You're having like Captain Crunch or something like some <laughs> dinner. We, or we we do have Fruit Loops downstairs in one of the cupboards, so that is definitely on the table as an option. Oh man, Fruit Loops! You're living your best dad, but I love it. Oh, you should see the like I. So we I, I order groceries online a lot now, and the problem with ordering groceries online that I found is that you don't always get the right size. So. Uh, last week I ordered groceries and I got egos and the box showed up and it's like, it's like, what am I supposed to do with all these egos? The box is, <laughs> the box is like, it doesn't even fit in a freezer. Like, who is this for? Uh, so we, I think we're eating egos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a while here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go, maybe I'll go, I'll go throw them on the ice one day. Just like, just for old time's sake. Uh, I remember Colby Armstrong had a great quote in the paper about that. He's like, get off your wallet and throw a steak. Like, if you're going to throw some food, like, come throw an ego. All right, James, you're up. Oh, you want me to ask a question? I, okay. I, I have them loaded. So if you don't, if okay. you're not ready, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. ready. I'm ready. I got one. Uh, since you are going to Vegas, our, our friend Mark asks, Chris, he says, uh, can, uh, can you still put Myrtle to shame at the Cosmo bar? and not leave till checkout time or because you're so healthy now are you going to be leaving the table at 11 p.m that's what mark wants to know <laughs> i might be i might be leaving a little earlier than i did back in those days <laughs> I, I think that i don't know how much storytelling you want on the pod but what you're referencing is the game in vegas two years ago uh you know that nick patan had that great chance on mark Henry flurry what we didn't fully realize is that that was mike babcock's last coach last game as head coach of the Maple Leafs. And you and I had a late night at the Cosmo bar after that game. And an early morning. <laughs> I had a very early morning because I was with, I was working in sports at the time and our cameraman was driving us to Arizona. We didn't fly. And I basically was like sleeping in the van the whole way. And then we get there and Mike Babcock got fired. So it ended up being a long work day and uh, a long night the night before. And so, you know, that's part of life on the road, but you know, it's funny. One thing during the pandemic, I and it's unrelated to the, the difficulties of travel. I, I actually missed the travel way less than I thought I would have. Um, and like even the thought of like that kind of night and then no sleep and working just like makes my stomach turn. So I think I'll make better decisions in Vegas this time around. But those might be famous last words. Just to that, so the, to finish that story, the question comes from a Leafs fan who we met in Vegas, who was buying us drinks, who who's who's an athletic reader. So you know there are, there there's some fun things on the road, but it's also it's just exhausting. And I agree with you. I, I've tried to take some of the positives with not being on the road so much. And the biggest one is I I'm just I've seen I've been around my kids so much more and like settled into the dad role in a way that was difficult to do in other seasons. So you know there definitely are. Are, are some positives that I think we can take out of our life being disrupted the way that it has been. Oh man. Honestly, I lost 30 pounds and it's not because I discovered a magic diet. It's like I stopped like 150 days a year and I started sleeping. Uh, I started running. I started, I started gaining weight. So I don't know. I, I got to get on the CJ plan here. The amount of time <laughs> CJ and I would leave a rink and be like, okay, what time are we taking the cab to the, the airport in the morning? It's like four 30. Yeah. Four 30 works. Okay. See you at four 30. The, I, I do know. not miss that. I've met Jonas in a, in a lobby of a hotel at like 4 a.m. more than anyone <laughs> in my life. Oh, man. You're always chipper. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, there's not many bad days for me. I, I see the positive of everything. But 
you know, I don't want to complain either. Honestly, I'm realizing there's probably someone out there listening and, and that would have been a young me at once. Like it was my dream to do this. Like it's so cool. Like Jonas, how many games we've we been to together? Like hundreds. literally hundreds of games. Yeah. Like I've been to every rank like 10 or 30 times. Like, I don't even know. Like I, it's like, it's, it's surreal that this became my life, but there is a point where it's like eating ice cream and you have too much and you get a belly ache. And, and that's, <laughs> that's kind of where I yes. got to like, like it's amazing. I never lost the love for it, but like at a certain point, your body rebels and I'm settling into this life where sometimes I watch the game on TV with a glass of wine instead of having to physically go to all of them. All right. I have a question here that um, Paul asks. I'm going to take one part of it. You both can answer. I'm going to kind of paraphrase. He's asking which assets would they be willing to move? I think an interesting question for that front office is what if it takes Timothy Lilligren or Nick Robertson or one of your better prospects? Uh, like I would assume they're not trading Rasmus Sandin in, in just about any deal. But like what if a team with defenseman X says, you know what, you want our defenseman, we want Lilligren back? Like would either of you. Is that like a non-starter for you guys? Is that something open to negotiation depending on the player? Like what what would be on the table as far as assets are concerned? Like the first round pick, is that still on the table? For sure. And you got to include Sandine too, depending on what it is. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's due a contract after this year. I'm not saying he's in line for a huge raise, but, you know, there's decisions on him. It's not that they don't like him, but if you're getting something back and you're getting a player with some term, maybe, you know, like the Leafs are trying to win the cup this year. Here right now that's the most important yeah. thing and i i just i don't think there's there's very few untouchables the untouchables are kind of obvious at the top of the roster but when we're talking about futures or the draft picks like you know, I, I think they'll move more i think they're going to be pittsburgh honestly that, i'm not saying they're going to win three cups like like pittsburgh did with crosby and malkin but they you know pittsburgh never shied away from just going all in on every season and they got a few banners to show for it and I know the Leafs are just waiting for a playoff victory right now, and it's easy to make them a punchline, but they've legitimately been a top five NHL team now for a couple seasons in the regular season, and, and I think they're just going to behave like one for the foreseeable future. So I, I, I don't, I wouldn't put guardrails on any of those prospects. I wouldn't obviously let Sandine go for nothing, but there's there's probably players we could come up with that make sense to trade them for, especially if they're signed beyond this year, because yeah, that, that's another decision facing the, the front all summer. Yeah, like if you can solve a hole in your top four and, and he's the cost and it's beyond this year, like maybe you do it. Right. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's burn the boats time for the Leafs. Like seriously, yeah. like there's there's almost nothing you don't consider doing, um, I don't think. And, you know, I, I already said earlier, I know we, we thought, like I'm not saying that the Leafs are going to go out and make some huge home run trade, but you're, you're not entering any discussion if you're Kyle Lewis with another GM thinking I won't do this, I won't do that. Like, I think that's nonsensical. Like, you, you know, but as much as Nick Robertson, you know, I know his last couple of seasons have been derailed by injuries, but like those guys can help and they'd be useful, you know, especially if, you know, Nick could be a full-time member of the team next year on an entry-level deal. Like there's, there's huge value to that, but there's also value to what he might bring back. And, you know, you're trying to win the cup today. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I, I think this will be a, this could be an interesting trade deadline that way. It might not be as obvious as just getting a rental like they did last year. I think, I think that this trade deadline calls for a little more creativity from the front office because of where they are with the cap, with Riley's extension kicking in, with you know Campbell needing a raise. Like all the all these different, you know, might require moving the pieces around in a different way than just trading picks for for an expiring contract. Yeah, I, I 
to my two cents is I I don't make any of the prospects untouchable. Like I don't think I don't think the Leafs have any prospects that are the, like guys that are going to be surefire stars next year, right? So if if they're going to be players that are going to be giving you help two, three, four years down the line, and that can't be the way that the the Leafs are thinking right now. Um, we've been pretty positive, I think, on this podcast, which I think is is warranted, even though they lost to Arizona last night. Um, we didn't get you to weigh in on that game, Chris. What do you think of the game last night? I mean, it wasn't a great game. The Leafs had a lot of chances. The other goalie made some saves. You know, I don't I don't see it as a big concern back to back. Um, I don't have any deep thoughts on that one. I really enjoyed the Colorado game on the weekend. You know, I know the Leafs blew a lead in that game, but that to me was like two elite Titanic teams going at each other. Uh, I'm 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 still feeling very optimistic about the Leafs. To be honest, I. I you know, you guys do this so much and you're talking about them, you know, an hour a week or whatever it ends up being. So you, you naturally have to sort of pull at some of the small threads that are that are around the team. But, you know, I, I don't see a lot of problems with them and I don't see a lot of teams that are clearly better. Um, well, which like, that's CJ, like I was trying to think of that this week, which teams are clearly better, like Tampa? Uh who else? Is there anyone like clearly better than them? I don't know. Well, Colorado, no, I, maybe? I have questions about Colorado's goaltending, you know, like right? the reason I'm comfortable saying Tampa is because Vasilevsky is probably the best goalie in the league. They they have Victor Hedman who might win the Norris this year, although of course, Kale McCarr has got something to say about that, but you know, they, and, and then they have an elite group of forwards. I mean, they, they just don't have any holes. They, they have elite players throughout their lineup, whereas, you know, I'm not sure the Leafs can truly match that head to head on paper. Um, but you know, they've also just won two cups. They, they, they're depleted from some of their depth. Like I would, I think it's going to be very hard for Tampa to win a third straight cup as good as I think their team is, or as great as I think their team is. Um, yeah, I mean, Carolina's having a good year. Florida's having a good year. Some of those Metro teams are kind of perplexingly having good years. Pittsburgh has Jonas Siegel on the third line and somehow it just wins 10 in a row. (laughs) The Teddy Um, Blugers. I mean, like that's become like an internet meme that like actually is in real life. Like they literally have players you've never heard of. Buzz flip it. Yeah. Like, you know, Brian Boyle took a year off hockey and here he's back. Like it's crazy. I mean, good for them. I, I'm not, I, I say it with respect, but I mean, if you had to pick a team, I guess how many teams deep, if, if you need to pick a team that has to win the Stanley cup to save your life, how many teams are you picking before the Leafs? Like, I don't think it's more than two, maybe three. You might put Vegas, Colorado, and Tampa ahead of them in some order. Carolina, maybe? Yeah. The ghost of Freddie Anderson is going to rise again. Oranta's <laughs> well, been pretty good. And he's been injured, though, too. I mean, I, look, at, at, Freddie's a great guy. I'm just kidding around. I should be clear about my intent with that, that comment. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, they're, they're probably top five in the league, though, like, in everyone's list. Yeah, well, you, like, you look at the top five. I don't know that, aside from Tampa, that I can say with definitive like belief that Carolina, Florida, Colorado, the Rangers, Nashville, like are Pittsburgh, are any of those teams like definitely better? I don't, I don't know. They all have holes just like they're all very good teams, but like they all have a thing you could point to and say, well, that's not as good. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And so like, what's to be that negative about is I guess what I'm kind of getting to here is that, you know, there, there's so much to like about this team. The only thing really to be negative about is that they haven't done it any of the previous playoffs. And so that just 
like it, it sucks because it becomes like the the automatic comeback someone would have for you. But you know, like the Leafs, I, would any of us be? This is what I always keep thinking of. Like if they went on a long playoff run, would any of us be remotely surprised? Like as much as the jokes are out there, like I think everyone would be like, "Yeah, this has been a long time coming." I'd be more surprised if the same thing happened again. Like I'm expecting, <laughs> wouldn't you guys be like after everything that's I've happened? Covered the, I've covered this team too long, Jonas, to be surprised if they fail. Like it's just you know, like I I was I was mildly surprised last year because it's like it's Montreal, they're up three one. It's like come on, like you just tap this one in, and this started happening again. It's like oh my god, okay, here we go again. Right, and they're in game six overtime, and they have like the first twelve shots on net and like ridiculous chances. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean whatever, like. <laughs> this is where you think sports can be cursed because like, yeah. I know for sure the Canadians view that series where they probably should have lost it. No one from the Leafs has said this, but my guess is deep down, they believe they should have won it. Um, they just sports are crazy. Sometimes weird shit happens. All right. We got to get back to the questions here. Jeremy asks, this is kind of a good segue, you know, with us talking about positives and negatives. He says, uh, you know, a main theme of the all or nothing series was Sheldon Keefe pushing the players to play a style that would win in the playoffs even though they were racking up regular season wins, do you think the way they're achieving success this season is different from last season? And if so, how? Well, I, look, they're, they're, they're a little bit better on specialty teams, which I think is important. You know, if, yeah. if they score one power play goal more against Montreal, they probably win the series, depending yeah. when it comes. Um, so I, I think that that is a, a, a coachable element of the, the team where they've clearly made an improvement and, you know, would be better. You know, I, at times, I'm not sure if they're as effective maybe at limiting the chances against. You know, it feels like some of the, you know, the reason they've been on this great run is Jack Campbell's been been marvelous. I mean, he's had a great season. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know that it's all defensive results. But, you know, we have to remember also they're playing the whole league. They're back to a more regular schedule. You know, I, it's not taking away what they accomplished last year because I was actually one of the de- defenders of the North Division. I thought some of the talk about it you know, not counting or whatever, not being legit was a little bit unfair. Um, But, you know, I I think you are seeing to me, the most obvious coachable elements is, is, is especially teams. And then, you know, I think a lot of it, like if if those Amazon cameras are in there again, I think a lot of the focus, honestly, with the Leafs is just being mentally there, like being strong, you know, withstanding those moments when things are going against you, because it's, it's pretty clear the organization feels, feels it has some of those demons um, that, that, you know, some of what's happened isn't just puck luck or whatever. It's that they haven't found a way to push through and, and break through at the right moment. And so, you know, I, I think that that's probably what they're coaching, but it, you know, that doesn't show up. It doesn't show up in game 35 just yet. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that we can, can grade that or evaluate how good a job they're doing with that. But I, I do think that's a big part of what the coaching staff's trying to establish. Well, have you noticed that I've noticed a little bit, I, I mean, I haven't been around the team nearly as much as, uh, we haven't been in the dress room and things like we are normally, but have you noticed that Greg Harden is around the, the peak performance coach is someone that they've integrated into what they're trying to do day to day. I haven't seen him. I don't know about you, Jonas, but I, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen him at all. Actually. He's, oh, been, he's around. been in the press box. He's yeah, been he's in the been press. Around. I've seen him in the press box with like some of the scratch players and he was spending a lot of time with Ilya Mikheyev at one point. And well, and Mitch Marner told me he talks to him all the time. And, and obviously yeah, he's, he's one of the guys that, you know, you look out from the playoffs last year is, trying to get past some of that stuff. Of course. I mean, look, it's, it's a real thing. Um, and it's a normal thing too. Um, and, and, but I, I think it almost matters as much as, 
some of the style elements that we might get into. Um, I mean, look, this is, this is a team that's still, you know, they do, they're, they, they measure well in Corsi, they measure well in expected goals. They're controlling their specialty teams. I mean, it's hard to argue the coaching staff's doing a poor job. You know, I, I don't know what, I don't know what you build that argument based on, to be honest. So, well, and the other thing is like they're, they're young players, uh, Matthews, Neander, uh, and we haven't seen, like you mentioned, Marner's had kind of a weird year with injuries and the start and everything. But like those guys are still getting better. And Jack Campbell obviously is better, I would say, than he was even last year. Riley is, Riley. is better. Yeah. The Riley Brody pair has worked. Uh, they have a third line that they can use. Like, there's lots of reasons to think that they're better prepared to actually win in the playoffs this year. Not to mention, like, what you said off the hop, CJ, with the power play. Like, penalty kill is better. Lots of things. Right. I mean, they've been on the right side, especially teams so much this year. You know, that, that little detail can make all the difference. I mean, we're talking, like, all these elimination games, right? You're talking about, like, small plays or one little thing. So, um. You know, the difference between them not having a playoff run already under their belts and not is not that small, is not that big. And so I'm with you, Jerome Jonas. I think it's probably going to happen this year, but who knows? I'm not betting anything on it. Steve Dangle's going to have to have some more agony, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to have to do a part two because we didn't get to like a million questions. There's so many questions for you, CJ. Honestly, I'll um, come on anytime. I do have to run to a meeting, unfortunately. No worries. We appreciate you taking some time. We'll let you go. Uh, Everybody read Chris at the star, watch him on TSN, listen to Chris Johnson podcast with our guy, Julian McKenzie. CJ, thank you. Love you guys. We'll talk soon. Yeah. See you, Siege. All right, James, you want to take a couple more uh, while, while I still have you here? Yeah, I think, well, you and I can close it out with, uh, I mean, some of these questions are, are for Chris, but, you know, we will have him on again. That was that was awesome. That was great. You know, we uh, we got to get Masters back at some point, too. And if people listening to the show, if you want us to have guests, just let us know in the comments who you'd like us to have on, because I think we'd, we'd like to have a guest on every three or four weeks or something like that, just to, to mix it up so that it's not just Jonas and I going crazy yelling at each other in the middle of a pandemic. I only want to talk to you, James, sorry, and CJ and Mark, nobody else. Except like maybe Ray and and No Dog and like some other people. So yeah, we've, okay. we've had we've had some good shows. Yep. Uh, let's see here. We've had some good shows. <laughs> Great. What are we gonna? You know, we get a lot of questions that we did get to answer. You know, there's one Greg of them, Harden, James. Like, actually, Evander one Kane. of them, James. Like there have been a few that I saw on, on Jake Muzzin. I, I mentioned Phil Kessel in the Hall of Fame. Let me ask you that. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? Oh, that was one we needed Chris here for. No, I do not know because if you look at the statistical case that he's got, he's behind quite a few other players. Like he just, he had so many good goal scoring seasons there, but um, I don't, I don't think that he's going to have the case to do it. No. Yeah, you? I think you're. I think you're right, and I he's don't. Just he's just short. He's in that group of you know. It's like like Jason Spezza is not probably not going to get in the Hall of Fame, and you know he's in he's in kind of that group of players. Well, so where do you stand on like guys who have longevity and who've like piled up counting stats? Like Patrick Marlowe is a good example. Um, Phil Kessel has 927 points. He's almost 400 goals. He's got two cups. He was like essential on those cups. I don't know. Like, where do you stand on guys like that versus the guys who just like play a long time and put up numbers? Yeah, but Patrick Marlowe was like, he was an elite player. Like, you know, he's like very elite. He was awesome, but yeah. So, I mean, uh, I don't think, I think we need to consider the cups less than we have in the past because there's 32 teams. 
Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of great players like Jerome McGinley that are not going to win a Stanley Cup, and I don't think that like should it. I don't know. I mean, obviously that's the ultimate peak, but the player isn't like in control. Like if Connor McDavid doesn't win a Stanley Cup, it's not his fault. It's like all the bumbling GMs that he's had that have run the teams that he's been on. So yeah. there are just some things that are out of the player's control. It doesn't mean that they're not a fantastic player. Like there's only so much that you can do as a player like a, a Ginla or, or McDavid where you could elevate your team and, you know, again, let spend all those years on those crappy Flames teams. I don't, I mean, he's the one that just comes to mind, but I mean, there's lots of great players that haven't won a Stanley Cup and I don't think it diminishes what they've done. So, um, I just think that, you know, 927 points, that's not nearly enough to get you in the Hall of Fame. I just looked, it's like 111th, I think, all time. And goals, he ranks obviously higher. Uh, I think you'd have to adjust for era a little bit too. Like Kessel scored a lot of goals in like a relatively low scoring period in the NHL. And I don't, I don't have that in front of me. I don't know if you want me to look it up, but if you looked at like adjusted goals all time, I wonder where, uh, I wonder where Kessel would, I mean, I I think he would climb the list a little bit, but he's still going to fall short of, of getting into the hall of fame. Yeah, I think you're right. Kessel 62nd in um, adjusted goals. Yeah, so like that gets it like closer to being part of the conversation. Um, with Joe was asking us, what do we think the best and worst first round matchups are going to be? I mean, I don't really want any part of Tampa in the first round, is what I would say. You're going to have to like, if you're planning to win a cup, you're going to have to beat them at some point, right? Yeah, but I mean, they've just got this huge monkey on their back for the first round. It'd be nice to not have to face the two time defending cup champs with with the goaltending that they've got, like. Like, give me Florida, give me, you know, even Boston or, you know, I, I feel like if I'm the Leafs, I'd take on a different challenge than Tampa in the first round. Do you have an opinion on the ideal first round matchup for them to get? Ideal? Um, I mean, it's so hard to say with like how the divisions and the wild cards and whether they win the division. Like, if they can win the division, that makes a big difference. Like, you look at the wild card teams right now, uh, if they were to win the division, it it's Pittsburgh or Boston. Like, those are not easy teams either. Like, I don't know... You're, you're facing a good team basically no matter what in the first round. Like, if you're facing Pittsburgh, I mean, is that really better than, go, like, is, is facing Crosby and Malkin really so much easier than facing Tampa? No. Uh, I think of all those teams, like, Boston has been weaker. They're hot right now. There's the, the history, which I don't really know if it matters anymore. Um, Florida, like all these teams, James, like they're all, they're all pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't feel like there's going to be a tap in last year was the year to get the tap in. I know we got to, uh, I know we got a bolt, but, um, here's one more for you. Nick asks, is there value in hanging on to Nick Ritchie for his physical play? There are few, fewer penalties called in the playoffs and Leafs have been physically outmatched every series. What do you think of that one? He's not, ex- he's not exactly, he's not exactly the most physical player. <laughs> no, he's like big, he's big. He's a big guy and he takes penalties, but he's not, he's not a bruiser. I think if they can get rid of that contract, they get rid of that contract. Like they need flexibility, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it would certainly open up the doors for them to do more at the trade deadline if, if they could, they could get rid of that money for sure. All right. Well, this has been fun, James. It was a pleasure as always. Uh, if you haven't signed up for The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash Leaf Report. Check us out. Lots of great stuff on the Leafs, on the NHL, on MLB, on NFL, on NBA, soccer, 
I'm missing anything? Everything, basically. Yeah, you can get get what you want at the athletic. That should be that could be our motto. Get what read you about, want. Read what you care about. It's funny seeing some people's like feeds and they've got like some random NFL team mixed in with a random NHL team and you know, some people are just reading all kinds of stuff. Like they're reading all the stuff on the different leagues and everything. Like if you if you like reading features and analysis on sports, man, like I think in the NHL, I think we have something like 22 or 23 stories a day. Jeez. So good good luck reading all that. Well, and you know, it's NFL playoff time. Like if you want to go read about whoever, the, the Bucks, or you want to go read about... I know our panel's coverage is real good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have some really good NFL writers for sure. All right. Well, I haven't actually looked at the schedule for next week, James. I don't know if you know what's going on. I think they're in New York. Uh, and then I believe they're back home. I can look. Yes, they play New York on the 19th, and then they're in, I guess, where is the new Islanders Arena in Hempstead or something? Yep. Uh, on the weekend. So we will chat next week. Any parting thoughts? Uh, no. I, I, I have nothing. I've cleared all my thoughts. I'm ready to start the day. I'm ready to start the day. Okay. Thanks, James. Talk next week. Thanks, everyone.